Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this very special episode of the Redeeming the Time podcast. This episode is special for one reason in particular, and that is that I am approximately 7.4 times sexier than I was in the last episode. Nah, just kidding, you can't get any sexier than my voice already is. No, what's special about today's episode is that we are here with Mac Donahue. And when I mean here, I mean here, like in my recording closet, five feet apart because we're recording a podcast. Can't wait for all the jokes, right? <laughs> my family is relentless. We've been joking about it for days. So, the reason that we have Mac here today is because, for those of you who may not realize this, Mac was on a six-month missions trip, uh the majority of the time in Australia with a group called Youth with a Mission. So he spent most of 2019 not in America. And he's going to talk about that trip uh, on today's podcast. So I'm going to be doing something that has not happened on Redeeming the Time very much, and I'm just going to shut up, uh, which happens to be really convenient because cleaning out the super special awesome recording closet resulted in a lot of dust, and I immediately started to lose my voice. So I am literally just going to pass this thing over to Mac, and we're going to learn about Australia in all of its Australian goodness. As long as you don't start saying shrimp on the barbie, I think we'll be all right. (laughs) I just don't know if I can handle that. But yeah, I spent the first approximately six months of 2019 on the other side of the globe. The lead up to this trip is the last several years of my life, and I'm not going to get into the details of of how it kind of came to be, but God very much organized the last three years, four years of my life with the purpose of me going on this trip. There were so many different things that played into it, and this has been easily the biggest, most life-changing experience of my, you know, very long and, and experienced 20 years on this earth. <laughs> I went on a trip with, like Tyler said, youth with a mission. I went on one of their trips. It's their entry-level schooling trips called the Discipleship Training School. And it, it's what it sounds like. It's training you to be a disciple. Well, what does that mean? You might ask. That's what we were there to find out. Uh, just being a disciple means more than having an awareness of the calling of Christ and an awareness of the the way he calls us to conduct ourselves and the way he calls us to live. And it means prioritizing that in every facet of our life, having him at the forefront of our vision in everything we do, learning to follow him in every aspect of our lives, and learning to share his love with others. And this six months was split up into two different portions. The first portion of that we called lecture phase, and it was essentially Bible college. So there was 12 weeks of that. Each week had a different topic that we got into, and I'll kind of go over those topics in just a moment. But the second part of that trip was outreach phase, where we traveled to different parts of the world and shared what we had learned in the first three months with the people around us. So of those three months of outreach, I spent a month and a half still in Australia, but in different parts of Australia, and then I spent a month and a half in Ethiopia. So I'm going to first talk about 
those 12 weeks of lectures, and then I'm going to get into some really cool experiences I had in outreach, and just the ways I saw God move in in ways I had never seen him before, and in ways I honestly didn't know were possible. I'm actually excited to hear this all in one place, because like, I was here texting Mac the entire time over like Facebook Messenger, so I heard the whole thing over a six-month period, and I've heard it in little bits and pieces here and there, but... I think it's going to be cool to actually hear an overview right here, right now, just of the whole thing. Yeah. It's kind of hard to, you know, give people a really good idea of, of what the trip was like, you know, concisely. The one question I've gotten a thousand times, which since being home, which is completely understandable, and it's probably the same question I would ask, but it's surprisingly hard to answer, is just the broad, how was your trip? Because there's truly no way to briefly answer that question when I just spent six months of my life on the other side of the world serving God in in ways, you know, I never had and a lot of people asking the question never have. Yeah, so I'm going to give just a a brief explanation of each of the weeks of lectures. Um, I could spend hours just on, on talking about these, so I'll try and be brief so I don't bore you. These are generally in order, but with it being six to nine months ago, you know, there might be a couple weeks that are, are out of order, but Overall, they're, they're fairly well, fairly well in order. Week one was hearing God's voice, learning about how God speaks to us. Does he speak to us? Yes. Does he speak to us all in the same way? Yes or no. Just learning how he speaks, the different ways he speaks to different people, and how to be better at, at listening, how to be more in tune to what he might be saying to you. That was the introduction? That was, that was week one. Huh. That followed through quite a bit. Yeah. That was a frequent topic of discussion from January to... July. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I didn't realize that was week one. Week one was, was that. Their, their first four weeks of every single DTS are the same. Hmm. Week one is hearing God's voice. Week two is character and nature of God, because that's what everything revolves around. Mm-hmm. If you have a question about God, you turn to his character and nature. Yeah. It's literally the whole point of the Bible is who is God? Yeah. What is he about? So learning how to hear God and then learning who God is. And then week three was repentance and forgiveness. What does the Bible say about repentance? What is its value? What is its place? How do you properly go about it? Um, and forgiveness. We talked about forgiveness and unforgiveness and how those might look in our lives and how we should execute those. And then week four was worship and intercession. Learning deeper about what it means to worship. It's more than just a, a word you say. It's it's more than just a song you sing. It's where your heart and your mind are. It's focusing on on the things God has done for you and, and just learning deeper about how to how to worship him better. And then learned about intercession, which is something that like I had never really been exposed to much in the Western world. It's something the Western church doesn't really participate in as much, but just learning about intercessory prayer and it was actually really cool and we saw we saw a lot of interesting situations mm-hmm. through that. It was something we did consistently throughout DTS where we would have a group of three or four people and we would just go off and and have no concept of no topic of prayer in mind and just pray and ask God to guide us into something he wants us to pray on mm-hmm. something completely random could be any anything anywhere in the world tell us what you want us to pray on and there were so many times where we got everybody got something related to each other and there, it wasn't like oh well he got a frog and he got a a fish so those are both animals it was like I got waterfall you got waterfall this person yeah. got like the location where there's a famous waterfall like yeah. it was inarguably god moving in some of those prayers which was insane and then i think week five was fear of the lord what does it mean 
to have fear of the Lord? Is it Does it mean literally being afraid of God? What does it mean? Learning about how fear of the Lord is not being scared of God, but fearing Him and it, just, it means putting Him first, really. Loving what He loves, hating what He hates. That is fear of the Lord. And then what might have ended up being my favorite week was spiritual warfare. This was like one that really broadened my my view of, of the world around me and was one of the most impactful on my life going forward since being home and in the trip forward from there. So I should, I feel like I should say this for those of you who might not know this about Mac and I or about uh, YWAM or Youth with a Mission. We're going to say YWAM a lot. That's Youth with a Mission. Mac and I both grew up in New England in Baptist churches, which are very, very conservative, very, very not emotional. The preacher gets up and he preaches about, for instance, the fear of God and, you know, like sinners in the hands of an angry God is that type of a sermon, that classic sermon. Uh, Youth with a Mission, YWAM, has a lot of history in uh, more charismatic roots of Christianity. So neither of us have really been exposed to that a whole lot. So that was part of the the interesting part of the trip was learning about those types of things. And so spiritual warfare is something that we talk about occasionally in like at, at the church we grew up in. But in charismatic churches, my understanding is this is a way, way bigger topic and usually uh, goes up in frequency the more charismatic a church is, you know. So... You don't hear a lot about demons and warfare and all that type of stuff yeah. in, in a typical New Englander Baptist church. But in Australia, with Youth of the Mission, that kind of stuff started to come up more, and it's stuff that we had never really addressed. So it was actually kind of cool for me to learn it secondhand, and I think it was probably cooler for you to learn it firsthand. Yeah, it was It was really interesting, and there's kind of a, a couple things I want to touch on about, about that is, first off, I just, like, I think when a lot of people hear the word charismatic... Uh, at least, you know, a lot of people I know, I think it leaves can leave a bad taste in their mouth. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of negative perceptions about charismatic where you get all these images of, of you know, completely fake, you know, ritualistic kind of yeah. impressions of, of God doing things. Um, and that's not what this was about. This was about just learning about the miracles God can and does still do. And they were definitely more definitely more charismatic than what I grew up learning. Which doesn't take much. No. <laughs> Coming from New England. In a Baptist church, it doesn't take much to beat uh, to beat us on the energy level. Yeah. <laughs> but they were never forceful about it. Yeah. Like if something made you uncomfortable, they didn't mandate that you you know that you participate. It was they were very laid back about it. They encouraged you to. This is what we believe. We believe this is true. That God wants to move through this. We recommend that you do it, but we're not going to force you to. Um, and then also, I think there's a reason that God moves that there's more charismatic belief in places like, you know, the Middle East and Africa and Asia and, and things like that. Um, I think it's because of the people. I think if you, if God tried to work through miracles in America, people would explain it away. Mm-hmm. God works in the way with his children that his children are going to hear him best. If person A is going to learn best and hear God best from a miracle mm-hmm. and person B isn't, he's not going to use a miracle for person B. This is like tapping into a whole different debate about oh, whether yeah. it's a good thing that the church is broken up into do, uh, denominations. So I, I've heard it both ways. The, the typical, I mean, to me, what's the the first logical conclusion is no, it's not a good thing. It's part of division. But there's also parts of uh, yeah. I, wise people I respect that are like, well, really, it's a good thing because we're all different. So we're all going to behave a little bit differently. And of course, that means we're all going to be wrong about stuff. Um, but 
at the same time, it, it's worked and it always has worked. And I don't see a universal Christianity coming about anytime soon. So it, it actually is a really good thing. To, yeah. As long as it's mixing, as long as it's allowed to, as long as there's still unity within the body Yeah. in the, in unity and diversity. That is one thing we learned a lot of in character and nature was God himself is split up into three different parts, mm-hmm. but there is still perfect divine unity in those parts. Yeah. For those of you who listen to Redeeming the Time podcast, because I think some of you might be coming here because Mac is tired of telling the story. Um, <laughs> but for those of you who are regulars and for those of you who stick around because you like Mac, uh, I'm doing a John study, and one of the things we're going to talk about is oneness. It's a recurring mm. theme in John is this idea of oneness. It's a huge part of what Jesus came to do was to, to make unity. Yeah. So those are kind of like the two things I wanted to, to hit on with the spiritual warfare. Yeah, cool it stuff. just taught me so much about and just authority. It, a lot of the spiritual warfare we talked about was having authority in, in God, um, in the name of Jesus, and and just learning how that manifests itself and that fear of the Lord isn't just going into somewhere and saying, be gone demon, but spiritual warfare is, you know, sometimes a day-to-day thing. You know, it's being aware of the ways that sin tries to creep into your life, keeping an, an eye out for those and, and taking authority over those when you see them happen. And then following into the next week, it was a bit of a change up. We had relationships hmm. and how to have God at the forefront of all of your relationships. God is, God is first and how to actually accomplish that, how to do that, how to have God at the forefront of each and every relationship, whether that be with your parents or girlfriend, boyfriend, spouse, uh, siblings, friends, everything, just what that means. And that was just talking a lot about commitment. That was what a lot of it was, was are you committed to the Lord first and foremost? And, and commitment to the Lord will then have a trickle-down effect into all of your relationships. Mm-hmm. And then after that was lordship, and that kind of is going along the same lines as the fear of the Lord week of putting him first, having him at the top of your life and submitting yourself to the things that he, he asks of you and being willing to put yourself second, having him be more important than yourself in your own life. And then that continued on into the next week, which was authority and submission. And that also kind of talked about how that looks like when it comes to earthly authorities, uh, government, parents, work bosses, whatever earthly authority that looks like how that submission, how biblical submission and authority works. You know, the kind of concept of give to Caesars what is Caesars, give to God what is God's, talking about how to be submissive to an earthly authority while still having Christ as your Lord. And then after that, we talked about missions, and that was just a lot of testimonies from different people about the different missions they've done across the world and the ways they've seen God move and uh, just the miracles he's performed and, and the way he's actively moving in nations around the world. And then after that, we talked about evangelism. Um, and, and a lot of that was talking about identity. Um, it wasn't uh, a a way of speaking it, a way of speaking evangelism that I was expecting. But he was, the guy was really hitting on knowing who we are in God as the foundation of our evangelism. Because we can't tell people who God is and who we are in God if we're not absolutely certain we know of those things ourselves. He's really preaching hard on on knowing your identity, knowing what knowing what God has done for you, and knowing your story. One thing the guy was talking about is everybody has a character trait or two of God's that is the big one in their story, in their testimony. The one that you say, "What's your favorite thing about God?" Figuring out what that is and learning how to how to apply that in the way you evangelize and in the way you speak to others about God. I like it. 
That's a good way to approach it. Yeah. And we learned about different uh, evangelism styles. Some people are more abrupt, like, hey, can I pray for you? You just walk right up and, and be very, you know, upfront, upfront about it. And some people like to work through, like, evangelize through works and kind of minister by action and then, you know, build their relationships and, and slowly work evangelism in there. And just all sorts of different evangelism styles and how that goes along with you personally and, and your testimony and, and just learning that. There is no one cut and dry way to tell somebody about God. There isn't any one right or wrong way to tell your story. And then the last week was Father Heart of God. And this is one that was like super emotional for everybody. Everybody says going into DTS, like, oh, be ready for Father Heart of God week. Like, it's going to be like beautiful, but emotional. And it was just learning how deep his love is and just the the breadth of of what he's done for us and and. Yeah, it's hard to even explain what that week encompasses. It's just such a, a deep emotional look into the ways God loves us. And those were the 12 weeks. And, you know, that each one of those topics was an entire week long where we had three or four hours of, of learning a day, you know, five days in the week. You know, so there was 20 hours probably of learning on each of those topics. Which, for reference, is what I'm doing in college right now with four college courses. So... Youth of the Mission uh, DTS is very strongly assimilated with college. If you do like enough of it, I, I don't know how the whole system works, but so there's the discipleship training schools, which is their entry level school. That's what I just went on, and then they have second level schools, and they have third level schools, and the actual um, university is called the University of the Nations. Hmm. Uh, that's the that's what they sit. That's what it's called when you get your associates and associates from. University of the Nations. That's their label for their education aspect of it. And the missions side of it, they label youth with a mission. And that's probably not just a few specific campuses. That's probably at every major base. Oh, yeah. 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 Just University of the Nations yeah. is all around the world. Yeah. Okay, yeah. And I don't even, I should have looked this up before, but I don't even know how many YWAM bases there are. A lot. Google search there it. There's a lot. A ton. Yeah. Do it. A ton. Um, and then there's the second level schools through University of the Nations. And then certain courses have a third level school. And if you complete the third level school, then you get an actual accredited associate's degree. Like through DTS and second level school, that's just within YWAM accreditation. Mm -hmm. It's not transferable to anything. But if you complete the third level schools, then you actually get an accredited associate's degree. So that was the first 12 weeks of my DTS experience. And four of those weeks, I believe that was... Worship and intercession, fear of the Lord, and spiritual warfare. And then there was one week where we didn't have any lectures because we were uh, camping. So we spent four weeks camping, those three weeks that I listed, and then we had one off week of lectures. That was camping on the beach where you woke up in your hammock. Well, we had tents. We brought four gigantic tents with us, <laughs> and two people, I think, slept in tents. It was the leaders and, like, two students slept in tents. Everybody else hung up hammocks and slept in hammocks. So you woke up in your hammock and you, you woke up to the sunrise and, and the, you know, the morning ocean breeze and, and different birds flying above you. And it was a very good place to have time alone with God. Mm -hmm. You don't have a super busy schedule. They did their best during that camping trip to leave our schedules pretty free and pretty open. So we had time to spend with God. I mean, throughout all of, all of DTS outreach, lectures, all of it, they designated time every morning for devotions for your quiet time with God. Yeah, they, they devoted time every single morning throughout the entire six months for quiet time with God. And the most close I have ever felt to God during my quiet times was when we were camping. 
there was this one giant rock on the beach that I would climb up and sit on a lot of mornings. And th- that's when I had some of my most like deep, like close moments where it was like God was sitting there on the rock next to me. It was such an incredible experience and a really awesome way to kind of get away from the hustle and bustle of, of the city of Perth. Which is probably what I should have clarified that the, the base I was at was in Perth, Australia. Oh yeah, that's so not important. Yeah. I was in Australia, but they have like a dozen bases in Australia. <laughs> so I was I was on their base in Perth, mm-hmm. which is the very coast. southwest coast. Yeah. yeah, southwest coast. I Google mapped it like once, so you know. <laughs> clearly I'm the master about it. <sighs> you can actually see it on Google Earth if you want to. You can go around the base and, and different different uh, buildings they have. And then from from there, we spent the other two months of lectures on the base in Perth. Hello folks, it is Tyler from the future, jumping back in. I have my voice, which is uh, very nice to have, I must admit. I just wanted to jump in and let you guys know kind of where we're at. We didn't really do a transition statement, but I just wanted to make it clear what's going on here. Uh, Mac just finished explaining the lecture phase of the trip, DTS, Discipleship Training School, and now he's going to explain the three months of actual outreach, the missions trip itself, and uh, some cool highlights that happened during the three months he spent in Australia and Ethiopia. All right, back to old Tyler and old Mac. So the first month and a half of outreach, or the first half, was still in Australia. But we got in our utes, which is what they call pickup trucks in <laughs> um, Australia. short for utility vehicle, I think. Got in our utes and drove north a long way. <laughs> like, for perspective in America, like Boston or like like New York to Dallas kind of yeah. thing like 1500 mile kind of yeah. journey that, and we so we drove for two days pretty much straight mm-hmm. 14 hour days for two days in a row something like that i don't know kind of just all melts together it's at, at a certain point most of the terrain were you on highway were you like middle of nowhere there was basically one road that goes from perth to some of the cities up north which are you know broom and derby or mm-hmm. two of the two of the towns up there and it is the I believe it is, or at least at one point was, the longest, straightest world uh, road in the world. Oh my gosh. Longest, straightest <laughs> road in the world. That must have been fun to drive. It was fun, but kind of monotonous. Like yeah, you, I'd imagine. You can see on the left side of the vehicle, we have the outback. Look at the red sand and the occasional rock. Yeah. And on the right side of the vehicle, there is also red sand and the occasional yeah. rock. <laughs> oh, gosh. And literally thousands of... I believe they're termite hills. Ant hills, termite hills. Oh, those things, yeah. Like, thousands of these. Those are the things that every fourth grade science textbook says, this is the inspiration for modern air conditioning in cities and stuff, and those things. The termite hills are like their air conditioning, quote-unquote. And there's thousands of these hills, and each of these hills has hundreds or thousands of termites in them. Yeah. I didn't even know that there were that many. Like, I knew that they were in Australia, but it's like there's more of them than there are anything else. Like, <laughs> That's crazy. So it was, you know, 28 hours probably of driving along these, along this, this road where you could go 100 kilometers and not turn at all. Nice. Passing all the road trains, which are what they call semis, but they're typically, you know, American semis have one trailer. Sometimes these have two or three. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. 
They'll, they can be like a hundred and something feet long. Like, so what is keeping America back? That's the question. The fact that they don't have the longest, straightest world in the road. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Yeah. There's, awesome. you know, more traffic, you know, in most trucking routes and it's harder to, you know, they don't have to back up at all here. Yeah. You know, worst case scenario is they just pull off the road onto the outback and turn around there and then jump back onto the road. <laughs> but yeah, so they, we drove up to northern parts of Western Australia. We spent a couple of days in Karajini National Park and we did the last little bit of our, our Father Heart of God lectures there. Um, and then our my school, I did the four-wheel drive adventure DTS school. And that's we our school split up into two different teams. And then we went to our different locations where team one had different outreach locations and team two had different outreach locations, both within the same, both within Australia in the same general region overall, but we had different locations. So my team went to three different places. One was Port Headland, which is a port city. You know, there's a big bay there with all of, with a lot of, uh, traffic. I'm trying to figure out the word Com- commercialized boats mm. that come through and, and do a lot of the financial, a lot of the finances is, is gone through Port Headland for the Northern part of Western Australia. Um, we spent a little bit of time there. We spent time with a, um, kids like in need kids program where it was an after school program for what they, what they labeled it as when we were in their pre-day staff meetings mm. Was it was for the unwanted and unloved children, basically. Hmm. It felt more like juvenile detention than it did a school. Like, nice. there were fights between the kids that had to be broken up all the time. And we were told, don't bring any of your valuables in, leave them all in the car. So it was... Yeah, rough, rough spot. Rough spot for the kids. A lot of them needed help. There were some kids that had such good hearts and you could see such a desire for things to be different in some of these kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and this organization was not religious. It was a non-religious organization, but we were allowed within reason to minister to them, to preach to them. YWAM teams have gone to the school and helped out before. So they have a built up relationship. Um, we were just asked not to be too, you know, don't be too pushy. Don't be going to every kid. Hey, do you want to hear about Jesus? Hey, do you yeah. want to hear about Jesus? But no if, Jehovah's Witnessing this yeah, exactly. one. Sorry. But if you, <laughs> you know, had built up a relationship with the kid and, and you and the kid had kind of been hanging out for a little while throughout the week, then you were more than welcome to bring it up. Um, so our team had you know, a handful of salvations throughout the week at this at this after school program, which was really cool. And just to kind of give all of you a background of the Aboriginal culture, that's where we were in. We were in a lot of the uh, Aboriginal villages. Port Headland was a little bit less strictly aboriginal there's because it's a bigger town it's not a privatized aboriginal village there were it was more diverse but a lot of those aspects of their culture still were present there so the aboriginal culture is very relationship based if they do not know you if you don't have a relationship built up they don't care what you have to say about about anything doesn't really they don't care what you have to say they don't care who you are unless they they know you so that's kind of why we had to build up a relationship we couldn't just go in and, and be like all right, here's the Bible. Here's here's what God says. All right, see you later. Um, so that's kind of just a background of, of the culture, uh, just to kind of back up any stories that I tell. And from there, I'm actually not sure if I'm supposed to give the names of the two other villages that we were in, so I'm not going to. But we went to another village, um, and they let us stay in the local school. So we were in the middle of absolute nowhere, Australia, <laughs> two days drive from, you know, the nearest city of Perth, really. Two days drive, middle of nowhere, very center of the village, 
a cell tower. We stayed in the so we had full 4G the entire week. That's crazy. We <laughs> stayed in their school and their school and in their classrooms had flat screen TVs and air conditioning and we were like, what is this? <laughs> we were expecting like like we we were giving our parents warnings like, hey, we're going on that reach now. It might be three months before you hear from us next. Yeah, that's what I was expecting. Yeah. And then I almost never didn't have contact. Yeah. Which was a pleasant surprise, you know, trying to keep track of every little thing from outreach that happened that I wanted to tell people would have been very difficult. And yeah. being able to kind of just share the stories as they happened made it a lot less stressful coming home. All the places we were at were kind of this interesting blend of of, you know, first world society as we know it and then their different cultural differences. In this second village, we spent a lot of time doing children's ministry. The Fitzroy River is where we spent a lot of time just swimming with the kids. They had a big rope swing. Just did that for hours every day. At the beginning, when we got there, we asked the kids, are there any crocodiles or, or, or anything dangerous in this river? And they're like, oh, there was one salty. Salty is saltwater croc. There was one salty, but we killed it. And we were like, okay, first of all, that's impressive. Second of all, good to know. So we were swimming around, but we still had the general concept of we won't swim unless the kids are there because they're very perceptive of when there might be danger in the water. Um, so we just had that as a general rule. So the kids told us there were no dangers in the water, and we trusted them and, and swam for most of the week. And then towards the end of our time there, we asked some of the adults, some of the elders of the village about the river, and we were informed by them that, yes, there are consistently crocodiles in the water, <laughs> both both freshwater crocs, which aren't really too dangerous. Yeah. As long as you don't get too close to them, they'll probably leave you alone. But there also are the occasional saltwater crocs in there, as well as sharks and snakes. And we were like, well, that's good to know. Last time I trust those kids. Yeah, right. But then we were like, well, we haven't died yet, so we're just going to keep swimming and hope for the best. Just trust God through it. We didn't really feel like it was God's will for us to go out to minister to these kids and in the process get eaten by a croc or a shark. You know, we were being... We were, we were, Seems reasonably logical to yeah. me. We were using wisdom and, and being cautious about the times we went out there. Like, we didn't get in the water too early in the morning or too late in the evening. But for the most part, we weren't too worried. Spent a lot of time there at the river. And during that village, we were there over Easter Sunday. And so we were planning on inviting all of the kids of the village to the school over Easter Sunday and doing our own Easter program, arts and crafts, having a little Bible story, performing one of the skits we had prepared but that didn't end up happening. Our program just didn't end up getting worked out because scheduling things is difficult in that, in that culture because um, they don't really do as much scheduling and planning. It's very based on what's next on your, you know, what's next on your to-do list. They have a to-do list. Number one is wash my car. Number two is, you know, plant all the things in my garden. If that takes two hours, then thing three gets done in two hours. But if those things take a week, then thing three gets done next week. So it's harder to, it's hard to nail down an actual scheduled plan for inviting people over and things like that. So our own thing we had planned didn't work out, but we ended up attending their local church's Easter morning service. Um, and I got to preach there because I was the one that was going to provide the, the story at our program. Um, I already had something prepared. I wasn't expecting to preach uh, that morning, but we got to the church and we were told that the pastor was super sick, like deathly ill. He couldn't be there that morning. So they asked if any of us had something to, some, something to share. So I was like, yeah, sure. Might as well. There were about 10 people there that morning. It's a pretty small village. Um, a couple hundred people. Um, and I, I just gave a, a lot of scripture. I, I thought it would be best to just read the Easter story in its entirety from beginning to end and just select a few passages and highlight a few different verses that I thought presented a common theme than to try and give a Easter message where the 
story of Easter is the foundation, but I'm preaching on something else, but relating it back to the Easter mm. story because I didn't know their knowledge of the actual story of Easter. So I was there in the morning and I preached just very scripturally. Um, and there were, you know, four or five select verses that I, I drew out and kind of highlighted, uh, you know, the theme of just God's love and how unimaginable his love truly is. And then we went back to the school over lunch and ate our lunch and spent some time there in the air conditioning because it was crazy hot. Um, and then we not went here. Easter Sunday here. I don't remember what it was, but it was not crazy hot. Yeah, it was probably over 100 <laughs> degrees Fahrenheit there on yeah. Easter. Yeah, it was probably over like 50 here. <laughs> yeah, right. So then we were told that they had a an evening Easter service. And we're like, well, if the pastor is that sick, then he might not be there. So let's just be prepared just in case they ask us to preach again. We weren't expecting it or not expecting it. We were just being prepared either way. So one of my classmates, he prepared a message for their evening service. Um, we didn't really talk about what he was going to prepare. Yeah, so he, he prepared his own for the evening service. So we get to the evening service and the pastor is there, but still too unwell to preach. So the, uh, one of the people came up to me and asked me if I would preach the same message again. And I said that one of my classmates had actually prepared something so he could probably do it. And they're like, hey, why don't you both? You can both preach. We said that was fine. And then we went and went back to our seats and waited for a few more people to show up. And during that time of waiting, we asked one of our other classmates if he would mind leading us in worship. Mm-hmm. And he was, because we, we saw that there was a guitar, but it didn't really look like it was very usable. And he was like, yeah, no, not with that guitar. Um... <laughs> If I had an actual, you know, a, a guitar in good condition, I could. And if my memory serves me right, less than a minute later, somebody walked in randomly carrying a guitar. <laughs> and we I were, never heard this story. Yeah. This is awesome. And we were like, coincidence? I don't think so. Yeah. Guess what? You're playing music. And he was like, okay, that's fine. So when service started, I went up and re-preached the same message and highlighted the same four or five verses. And then I went down and... And then my one classmate went up and led us in worship. Uh, there were four of us there that day. Two people stayed back because they were sick as well. So I went up and preached, came back down. One of my classmates went up and led us, led the church in worship. Um, and then he finished up and then the other classmate went up and provided his sermon. Um, and then did a little bit more worship. And then the fourth classmate that was there closed us in prayer. And the other sermon that was preached by one of my classmates was more testimonial based. So he was taking the story of Easter and showing how it had impacted his life and how God's love had changed him. And it just so happened, we didn't talk about this, but the exact same four or five verses that I had highlighted were the exact same four or five verses from the Easter story that he had drawn out to apply to his testimonial sermon. That was not planned at all. He didn't know what verses I was going to use. I didn't know what his plan was at all. But that ended up working out perfectly. And once again, coincidence, probably not. God was definitely moving on that Easter. For sure, not an Easter I'm ever going to forget. And all you know, the fact that we showed up that evening, unsure if any of us were going to actually be involved in the service. And it turns out that all four of us that showed up were involved. Two of us preached, one led in worship, and then the last one got to close us, close the service in prayer. And after we were done with that, after we closed in prayer... Um, one of the, I guess she was probably an elder of the church or kind of helped lead the church. She asked if we would mind uh, laying hands on the pastor who was still sick and praying for him. And we said, we said, absolutely. We would love to. So he went up to the front of the service, uh, front of the sanctuary and we laid hands on him and started to pray for him. And when he came up, you could tell how sick he was. Like, it's such a weird thing, like hard to even explain, but you could like feel mm-hmm. just this 
he was not well, like deathly ill. So we all lay hands on him and kind of close our eyes and start to pray. And we're we're praying. And then at one point we we open our eyes and there's a bunch of kids that the same kids that we had been hanging out with and ministering to throughout the week had joined us up at the front of the sanctuary and were laying hands on him as well. <laughs> and that was just like mind blowing. You know, because it's really hard to know if if what you're saying and doing is actually having an impact on the people you're saying it to, Mm -hmm. especially because of of the culture where you have to be very cautious about uh, how forward you are with with your ministering and evangelism and just kind of the caution you have to take just to avoid offending them. Um, Not because they're offended about God, but just because they don't want to hear it unless they know you. So just being cautious with not pushing any lines and trying to just minister a lot through our actions and not being unsure of whether that was actually having much of an impact. And then at the end of the week, seeing the same kids that we were ministering to praying with us for the pastor. It was like a super crazy emotional moment that we were all like, that was amazing to see because, you know, oftentimes in missions, you don't get to see the fruits of your labor, Mm -hmm. so to speak. So getting to see that and getting to see the effects of of what God was doing through us was crazy. And in that same village, um, on another night, we had another couple. We had a couple salvations. So I think it was it was three, I believe. And then before we left, we got it. We got f- another f- one more. So there was ended, ended up being four or five salvations in this village, which is unheard of. You know, if you look at the population of the village being three hundred and something. 350 approximately. If you look at, if you take percentage wise, five salvations is a lot. Yeah. And that was, that was something that we were having to remind ourselves of is um, something that was kind of being prayed over us before we went is that we were going to be the harvesters. The verse, the harvest is ready, but the workers are few was. I've cited that at least four times on redeeming the time already yeah. because it's in the woman in the well. Yeah. And it's a oh, phenomenal passage. On people that didn't know that kept bringing that verse up to us. Different people would pray for us and be like, hey, I really feel like God's giving me this verse for you guys, mm-hmm. for your team, for this outreach. You guys are going to harvest. Mm-hmm. And one of the students felt the same way. He got a, during intercession one day, he really got the feeling that um, we were going to harvest the field that the teams before us had prepared. So our expectations were huge. God is going to use us to harvest. Mm-hmm. And we ended up with an unheard of number of salvations. You know, there's a really big point that could be made in there because in a lot of situations in life, we're encouraged to set low expectations so we can be surprised. In my experience, that is so untrue in the church. You set high expectations for the right thing, set low expectations for dumb things. (laughs) You pray for a Lamborghini, you're not going to get one. Set your expectations low. But if you are actually legitimately seeking ye first, it's totally improper English, the kingdom of God, then set your expectations high because you're going to see it. And that certainly seems like a situation. If you guys were actually prepared to go in and say, this is about to be epic. And what do you know? It was epic. Yeah. That's If you have faith in God in those things, he will follow through. He Mm -hmm. will not let your expectations be too high when, like you said, your sight is on him and you are serving him first. Mm -hmm. And that was something that was being spoken over us, even even into Ethiopia. I'll kind of use this as, as my segue into Ethiopia. Mm-hmm. Um, that was something that was being spoken over us in Ethiopia, too, that we stayed at a YWAM base in, in Ethiopia. That was something that the that the staff there were, were saying to us is, I really feel like God's saying that you guys need to raise your expectations. He wants to blow you away. Raise your expectations. He will match it. Raise them more. Keep raising them. Mm-hmm. He wants to do crazy things through you guys. Mm-hmm. So just that whole concept of of expecting god to be god Mm -hmm. 
was so prevalent throughout our entire trip. So through Ethiopia, we were in um, the mountains. I feel like you should explain for the for the listeners why you're in Ethiopia, because you're on a trip in Australia that's based okay, in yeah. Perth. So that, How'd you end up in Ethiopia? That was our secondary outreach location. So every school has a couple different outreach locations. Um, the school that I was on, the four-wheel drive adventure DTS, DTS is short for Discipleship Training School. Um, the four-wheel drive adventure DTS, they do the indigenous villages of Australia every year, and then they have one other. And that one other for us ended up being Ethiopia. Um, so we spent six weeks in Ethiopia as well. And for their outreach locations, they really try and focus on what's called the 1040 window. And what that is, is that is 10 degrees, either latitude or longitude, whichever one is mm. horizontal. Uh, latitude. So ladder. Yeah. Okay. 10 latitude <laughs> to 40 latitude. There's this block that is Eastern, you know, Southeastern Europe, mm-hmm. um, Asia, and, you know, parts of Africa. And that's really where they try and focus on. That's where at least that base has really felt God wants them to focus. Mm-hmm. Um, so we ended up going to Ethiopia. So we spent six weeks in Ethiopia. We flew into Addis Ababa, which is the capital of Ethiopia. And we spent a few days there. And then we took a bus ride eight hours to another town called Arba Minch. And Arba Minch is a fairly touristy spot in Ethiopia overall. And that was kind of our central hub while we were in Ethiopia. Um, there was a church organization, Makana Jesus. They are a huge church um, kind of tree. What in... is the translation of that? I'm not sure off the top of my head. Is the name Jesus is in there. Makana Jesus, yeah. Yeah. I don't I'm not sure what Makana is. Yeah, that's cool. I almost want to look that up But now. there are hundreds of different congregations and churches under the umbrella of Makana Jesus. So one of their... Um, bases was in Arba Minch, and it's a fenced-in facility with armed guards, so that's where we stayed when we were in Arba Minch. And then from there, we would take taxis or uh, smaller buses to different uh, villages in, in the mountains. We went to one, well, we went to three, but I, I have a really cool story of... This location has been censored for privacy reasons. Which is the first one we went to. Um, probably, probably my favorite moment from the trip. So we were staying in a, in, in a church compound here, and this church compound was also fenced in. No armed guards, but the fence fence was more than enough. Um, so we put up our tents inside the church facility, just in the grass next to the building. That's where we stayed. So it was kind of during a relaxation time after church one Sunday. Uh, we were just relaxing in the facility, just pulled out some chairs, and we're just relaxing out in the yard. And there were a bunch of kids there at the time, and I decided that I was going to pull out my phone and try and show them... The Jesus Film. Now, The Jesus Film is an hour and a half long movie about the life of Jesus. And there's an app for it, and it is translated into hundreds of languages, where the entirety of the movie is in in hundreds of different languages. Mm. And um, one of the languages was Amharic, which is the one of the primary languages spoken in Ethiopia. Mm-hmm. Now, I didn't have it downloaded onto my phone, so I had to stream it. And I did have a SIM card that I'd gotten for Ethiopia, but my connection there was very spotty. But I decided I would I would try anyways, and I was just praying throughout this entire story that I'm about to tell you, kind of just actively praying the entire time in my head, Lord, help this stream, Lord, help this buffer, mm-hmm. Lord, help my service be good enough. Like, the entire time. Pretty much nonstop. That was going through my head. Just for the record, folks, this is the second story I've heard this week about people praying for cell phone signal. 
both in completely legitimate circumstances where he came through. But this is crap. What does this say about Americans? The, right. the most frequent prayer I've heard in a week is prayer for cell phone ser- uh, service. That's, right. that's pretty great. So I, I pulled out my phone and just asked three or four of the kids if they wanted to watch 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 it with me. They're like, what is it? I was like, Jesus movie. You know, just trying yeah. to say words they would understand, you know, despite not having great English. I'm like, yeah, sure. Um, there were a lot of kids just kicking around a soccer ball. So a couple of them went and sat down with me. And there was kind of like a stone wall running up alongside the, the side of the church throughout the, the entire length of the building. So I just went and sat down on on this stone wall. You know, it's about thigh high. Just sat down on it and had the kids sit next to me. And I pulled out my phone and clicked on them, clicked on the Jesus film and, and just let it play. And thank God it's, it actually it buffered despite terrible service and started playing in more than potato quality. It was actually, you know, you could actually tell what was happening. Um, and they were enjoying it. And then slowly more and more kids started coming over and more and more. And we, we, I was, I was counting them because they do track the statistics from outreach, just not as a pride thing or patting mm-hmm. yourself on the back, but just because they want to be able to, as an organization, see how God's moving. Mm-hmm. Um, and statistics are just genuinely helpful too, because you can tell what's working and what's not. Yeah, exactly. So it, it's completely for using to praise God more for the, the details and the specifics of how he's been moving. So I was, I was counting the amount of people that were watching this with me and more and more kept showing up. And, uh, at one point, one of the women that, uh, serves at the church here, she was making some, some meals for us and just making us feel at home. Um, she came over kind of looking unhappy and I think she was coming over to shoo the kids away because she thought they were bothering me. So she comes over and starts trying to tell them to leave, and I, she didn't speak any English. Mm-hmm. So I was like, no, 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 watch. And I pointed pointed to the phone, and I hit play again. And she was watching for a second. She kind of, like, cocks her head to the side and realizes what, what's happening, and then she points at the kid next to me and makes him stand up and move so she can sit down right next <laughs> to me and watch with me. <laughs> so she went from trying um, to make them move to stop bothering me to making a kid move so she could watch too. And it was so cool. And then I think she called over one of the other women that was that was serving at the church. And so now I have a group of 30 kids and a couple adults watching this film with me. And then we're watching for a little while and the sun kind of creeps over the, the peak of the building. So we're in the sun um, and... Some of the kids ask if we can move further down the wall so that we're not in the sun. And I said, yeah, that's fine. I didn't really see a problem with that. So we get up and move 15, 20 feet down the wall and sit back down. And at this point, um, the kids start getting very rowdy because they were fighting over who got to be closest to me. There was a group of 35 kids fighting over who got to hear about Jesus, pushing and shoving each other. It wasn't with any real anger or ill intent. You know, it was just kids being kids trying to squeeze through and get closer. But they were getting rowdy. Um literally to hear about Jesus better. They were they had that much desire to to watch this just this movie about the life of Jesus that they were pushing and shoving each other to try and get as close as they could. It you know kind of reminds me of, you know, the stories you hear of Jesus preaching in the mm-hmm. Bible where there were people pushing and shoving and sometimes climbing trees to get a better yeah. you know, a better picture of of what Jesus is saying. Um and and that is totally accurate, totally true. Um but because they were getting rowdy, a lot of the kids ended up getting asked to leave the church facility because uh, the people that were running the church were, were very adamant on us not being bothered while we were there. And because of language barrier, it was really hard to communicate that they weren't really bothering me. It was perfectly fine. I wanted yeah. them to watch what I was doing. So unfortunately, a lot of the kids ended up getting asked to leave, but it opened up an opportunity. So there were a couple kids of the older kids, preteens, that were allowed to stay. 
because uh, they were they were calm and you know a little bit older. So there were four preteens, probably ten to thirteen, that stayed and kept watching with me. And I showed them the rest of this movie. And I didn't have my our translator with us at that point. He had gone to bed. Um, so I was functioning off of hand gestures, very, very basic broken English, and my Google Translate app. <laughs> Google Translate. Shout out to Google Translate. Not sponsored, but thank you. <laughs> Please sponsor us, Google Translate. That would be great. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be really cool. <laughs> Um, the, the, my Google Translate app was so helpful in this situation. So we watched the, the rest of this movie, and then I just started asking them questions about what they just saw. You know, you just, you just watched a movie about Jesus, um, and just really starting to disciple them and, and tell them um, that these things are true, if they believe it's true. And um, all four of these preteens that were there with me that night gave their lives to Jesus through Google Translate. Thank you, Google Translate. Booyah. And then right afterwards, our translator ended up getting up, I think, to get a drink or something. And I called him over and asked him just to kind of translate real quick and make sure that, like, what I thought happened just happened and, you know, clarify if there were any miscommunications and everything went, like, everything was exactly what I thought it was. And then he went back to bed and that was just such an incredible experience seeing 40 plus kids and, you know, a handful of adults. Mm-hmm being so desperate to see and hear about Jesus and being able to bring four kids to know Jesus. Mm-hmm. That was probably my favorite. Those, the Easter story and this, probably my favorite two stories of the trip when it comes to seeing God move through us. But those are just two of the many stories I have from Outreach that kind of give you a, a really good perception and a really good general idea of some of the things I did and, and how God used us to work in the nations. All right, guys, it's the same deal here. It's future Tyler. I'm back. We didn't really explain the transition that's going on here, but uh, Mac has finished kind of just explaining what the trip was like from uh, just the notes that he'd collected. Uh, now it is me asking Mac a few questions just to see uh, if I can direct the conversation a little bit and uh, kind of get a few uh, takeaways for you guys at home and for myself, too. All right, back to them. So what would your, what's your current opinion of youth with a mission as a whole? How, how do you think people should approach this? Like, go, think people should start looking into going on youth with a mission trips? Um, absolutely. Either YWAM youth with a mission or trips of the sort. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you want to prioritize God in your life, then um, doing something like this is, is an incredible way to see firsthand how he moves and how personal he is and how individual he is to you and just I devoted six months where 24-7 was learning about God and and learning how to bring aspects of that back home how Mm -hmm. God should be Mm 24-7 God isn't a you know Sunday mornings God he's not a nine to five God he's 24-7 God and learning how to have him be your Lord in everything you do Mm -hmm. 24-7 it was it didn't just transform my perspective on on God and who he is. It changed how I view myself. It changed how I view the world around me. It changed how I view life itself. Mm-hmm. It compl- it was such an incredible experience, so life-changing, you know, challenging at times, but absolutely something that I would never change. Mm-hmm. 
so as far as like Americans go, Americans who've never, I mean, this is a huge venture outside of the comfort zone. Yeah. Obviously, I, I've never left the country except to drive through Canada one time to get to Detroit. <laughs> to get to another part of the country. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so as far as Americans who don't ever leave their comfort zone, what kind of, I mean, what are the basic lessons that you think, and if you can't teach them the, the, long and hard way what's the short version what's the the learn from me kind of lesson of of what i learned from from going overseas yeah um i mean it's what you're going to hear from a lot of people but just not taking things for granted mm-hmm. realizing how how much god has blessed you right off the start like 1 us dollar is worth i think it was 20 25 Ethiopian currency and that's not even that much when you're talking about you know third world countries there mm-hmm. are some where it's worth thousands yeah but one American dollar was worth 30 burr burr is yeah. the currency of Ethiopia and it's even worth like a dollar 30 dollar 25 in Australia so even in Australia the American dollar was pretty valuable mm-hmm. and we complain um, about the value of the go- of the dollar going yeah. down and that's like still one of the strongest I, units of currency when I got to the airport in Ethiopia had a hundred bucks U.S. cash on me, and I transferred that into Ethiopian currency, and that was more than enough for six weeks of living. Yeah, that's crazy. I had plenty at the end, mm-hmm. where I ended up just kind of giving away what was left. But a hundred U.S. dollars was enough to live off of for six weeks with hefty leftovers. Yeah, that's crazy. You can't crazy. go four days on living expenses. With yeah, bucks. In you can't America. go to Walmart for your for tonight's dinner and tomorrow's breakfast for a hundred dollars. Yeah, crazy. <sighs> so really just appreciating what God has done, even just looking at where I live and mm-hmm. just the, the things that I have access to mm-hmm. clean water, which wasn't even as bad in Ethiopia as it is in a lot of places. Michigan. And just Michigan water sucks. Yeah, right. <laughs> Ethiopia, Flint, Michigan, probably pretty comparable. Yeah. But just learning to appreciate what God has blessed me with just at birth. Mm-hmm. And furthermore, seeing something that was cool was seeing the joy in these people who don't have 90% of what people that are considered very poor in America have. Mm-hmm. Your poorest person, somebody considered poor, you know, on food stamps barely scraping along, living paycheck to paycheck, missing bills every month, mm-hmm. would be living the life in Ethiopia. Mm-hmm. They would be rich in Ethiopia. But yet, those people in Ethiopia that have absolutely nothing mm-hmm. are a hundred times happier than most average Americans. I made a point at work today, because I work serving coffees, and uh, some guy in the drive through who was super nice, he called me sir. And I made a point to bring it up to my coworkers because he was driving a Mercedes. And generally, the rich people are not the nicest people uh, in a tourist town. But uh, he was actually really kind, which is kind of uncommon. So it's kind of a, a common trend of someone's personality and yeah. their values based on just their income alone. Yeah, when that kind of difference in, in joy really hit me was... When we got back to Perth, and I went out into the city one day by myself, and I was sitting in the subway, uh, and looking around at all the people around me, with frowns on their face, parents yelling at their children when their children aren't really doing anything wrong, and everybody has out their $1,000 cell phone, and, mm-hmm. you know, their $50 earbuds, and all of these different things, and there's no contentment, no joy, mm-hmm. and just seeing how the people we were with had the joy of the Lord 
and how that overcame any circumstance that they were in. Mm -hmm. And just that there's a lot of things that you can learn Mm -hmm. from people that have nothing. So one of the coolest things for me back home, getting my education at a community college uh, full of white people, well, Mac traveled the world. (laughs) Not that there's anything wrong with white people, but, you know, (laughs) it's very basic and bland. Anyways, here's the deal. I am white. (laughs) The deal is, uh, one of the coolest things that I got to see while just seeing this world through Mac's eyes over text uh, for six months uh, was I got to see the story before and I got to see the story after. Mm -hmm. And so you can talk so much about, you know, the the lessons learned and what you've learned about God, what you learned about society, the kind of impact that you made. But what's interesting about YWAM in particular is that you're as much the mission as you are yeah. the missionary. So what was, how would you describe what kind of an impact the, the trip had on you? Because that's the most interesting part to me as your yeah. friend is that uh, as yeah. much as I care about those people in Australia and Ethiopia, I'll never meet them. I never did. But like seeing how this affected you yeah. and has changed you and has literally changed your life course and all that is incredible to me. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the discipleship training school is to make... The, the attending, the people who are attending, a disciple. Mm-hmm. Take them from whatever level of, of spiritual background they have. Some people uh, on, on the quarter, YOM has four quarters of trips. They do four chunks of trips every year, you know, you know, four quarters. So my quarter, there were a bunch of trips on, and there were people on my quarter who showed up at the beginning of the year, atheist. I don't believe in God. If there is a God, I don't like him. But if he exists, I want to find out. Mm-hmm. And I want to know who he is. There was one guy on one of the teams who I remember that being his story of, I figured it couldn't hurt. Mm-hmm. He showed up. I don't believe there's a God, but it can't hurt. To, to... It's a charity organization. What are you going to lose, right? Yeah. So, And then by the end of the trip, he was professing and proclaiming the name of Jesus to the mm-hmm. nations. You very much are just as much the target as the people you are going to minister to. It is first and foremost to make you a disciple Mm -hmm. because it's to make workers for the harvest Mm -hmm. and teaching people who have an interest in harvesting how to do that. Yeah, because, well, there's only one reason that you end up in one of those trips anyways, and that's that you're already seeking. Yeah, It's not like their missions where they're going out looking for people. YWAM can actually go off of the fact that, hey, you're here. That means we can actually do something with you. We know if we plant some seeds, it's going to go somewhere. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, and that was, that's something where youth group missionships have been on in the past. That's, it's differed from that, mm-hmm. where my, my mindset going into the other missionships has very much been, what is my purpose here? Mm-hmm. If, am I just wanting to go for myself? If that's the case, then I'm, you know, I'm not going to go. If I'm going mm-hmm. for my own, glory, my own enjoyment, my own Mm -hmm. fun. That's not the purpose of this trip. But allowing myself to realize that this discipleship training school was for me just as much as anybody else. I was there so I could grow and I was there so that I could learn who God is and that I could see what God's plan for my life is. And I'm not going to go into the whole story because it's a very long story, but (laughs) a year before the trip, I was severely depressed. And now three months after the trip, despite the fact that my circumstances are the exact same, exact same as when I was severely depressed. I couldn't be happier overall. Hmm. Crazy. You're telling me it's not about circumstances? I think, I think that's, I think that's what I'm saying. Okay, good. Cool. I like it. (laughs) All right. Uh, so I think this will be last question just out of everything. And I'm not saying boil it down to one point, but at least one idea. Mm -hmm. 
what would you want the people who are listening to this, which is random people in the future, probably when I go totally viral and I'm the biggest Christian influencer in America. Um, yeah, it's not going to happen. Uh, just to people in your circles and other circles and credo circles at Lancaster and, you know, all these random people who are going to be listening, who don't know you, don't know us, don't know our Mm. stories that might be like, okay, well, what can I learn from this that I've just listened an hour to? God is pursuing you. He wants a relationship with you deeper than what you have now. However deep your relationship with God is now, no matter how shallow or if it's incredibly deep, he wants you deeper than that. And he is pursuing you in that. Even if you don't see it, he is pursuing you. I promise you he is. Just turn towards him and accept his request to go deeper. And he will change your life through it. So there's this verse, I might have mentioned it on Redeeming the Time before. Uh, Something like, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, Mm. redeeming the time, for the days are evil. Uh, It's Ephesians 5, 15 or 16. It's it's the, the verse that ended up being the foundation for this entire ministry that I'm doing. This idea that we can push Christians to be better Christians, redeeming the time. I mean, would you argue, having gone and seen the world a little bit, that the days are evil? Yeah. I would agree 100% of the days are evil. Um, And so the number one thing that bothers me in America is to see Christians who profess that Christ is their all, and he most certainly is not. He's their hobby. I want to see Christians who are using their time and their resources effectively to actually make a difference. And seeing what six months in Australia, Ethiopia equaled, I mean, incredible impact is just proof of my point. So the point that I would give to you because of my extreme bias and my just straight up missionary goals here on this mission is... Listen to the podcast more. (laughs) Listen to the podcast more. more You got it. The mission is be the best Christian you can be. Make Christ your all and put those yeah. things first. I already quoted it earlier. I think it's Matthew 6 or whatever. It's during, yeah, it is Matthew 6. It's do not worry. It's during the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things, which is just really just earthly necessities. Yeah. But seek first the kingdom of God and everything else is going to sort its way yeah. out. If you would just have the sometimes even blind faith to just say, you know what, I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. and it's going to work out because it's his plan. So that's what I like to see is Christians living on a mission and not just pretending to live, I guess. Yeah. Well, this has been great. My voice is coming back because I got to shut up during a podcast for once. Uh, it's a miracle. It is a miracle, yeah. Okay, well, see, Zach, so you guys all remember Justin, where I had that episode where you can hear silverware clanging in the background. I'm still not sure what happened with that one. I don't. I literally don't know. His family might have been doing dishes for an hour and a half. I, I was perplexed. <laughs> but Justin has a twin brother, Zach, who I'm supposed to record with, too. So, Zach, this is my shout-out to you. Get me that study, because I want to record an episode, you know, another one where I'm not just the one talking. And he, he's prepared this whole awesome study, apparently, and friendship, a uh, biblical idea of friendship. It's got David and Jonathan and... I'm excited. I want to learn about it. I've been waiting for months to hear this study, intentionally not doing it myself so that Zach can teach me and I can interact like on the fly in the podcast. So Zach, hurry up. Public call out, dude. Oh, public call out. It is in the open now. All right. But in the meantime, uh, what's going on in this show right now is we're in the middle of our John study. So again, if you're new here, the John study is the coolest thing I've ever done. The book of John is... 
That was me blowing my own mind with my hands. So check us out. Our titles are not misleading. If you find something that interests you, uh, just give it a listen. Right now, the John study is what I'm working on because it's easy to work on solo while I'm doing school. But also, I mean, that book is mind-blowing. What if I told you that the plagues are lined up with the signs of Jesus that John does, that John records in order? I mean, just straight down. There's seven wonders and ten plagues, but they literally line up in sections. It's mind-boggling. Why? There's a point. Check it out on the John study and listen to Redeeming the Time. If you can go to our website at redeemingthetime.online, not.com, redeemingthetime.online, uh, you can check out all of our social media buttons and check out stuff that's for you. So in the meantime, I will be seeing you guys with hopefully Zach Villamere on the next episode of Redeeming the Time. God bless.